I'm Paul Heron, and this is episode 38 of the Anna Eastin podcast. Did you know that there's a brand new significant Anna Eastin book out? It's called Reunited: The Correspondence of Anna East and Joaquin Neen, 1933 to 1940. It's co-published by the Swallow Press and Sky Blue Press. This is the story behind the book. It was the summer of 2006 when I found out that Rupert Pohl, Ani East Neen's West Coast husband and literary executor, had died at the age of 87. I didn't find out the details until I was asked to visit the Neen house in Los Angeles a year later. I was told that Rupert had died at home alone and had not been discovered for some days. I find that tragic. He died alone in the bed he once shared with Annie East in the house he built for their life together. And then I was told that one day, a few weeks afterwards, someone was checking up on the house and discovered a young woman sitting on Rupert's bed. She said that she and Rupert had planned to run off together, that it had all been arranged. When he didn't show up, she sought him out, only to find that he had died. I don't know who she was or whether she was telling the truth, but somehow I wondered if Rupert, the hopeless romantic, had fallen in love again. So this was the backdrop to my visit. I'd been asked to help sort through the morass of stuff that had accumulated in Anna Eastneen's study, the small dark room she called a cell, where she did her work, chiefly editing her famous diary. I had exactly five days, I was told, to sort out the mess, to separate the treasures from the garbage. When I opened the door, I could not believe my eyes. There was a mountain of boxes, crates, papers, and garbage bags that was so big it nearly reached the ceiling, and the stench of decay and mildew was overpowering. Putting my dismay aside, I went about my task. I had to begin at the door because there was no room in the study itself to work. It seemed that, either just before Rupert's death or afterwards, the study had become a dumping ground for materials that didn't seem to have a place in the house. There were new owners who were trying to establish a space for themselves, and perhaps instead of tossing materials in the trash, they stored them in a study. At least that's my theory. It wasn't my place to ask. I needed every minute of those five days. It took two just to get to the floor. I would say that about 75% of the stuff was worthless. Old insurance bills, Rupert's old mail, menus from nearby restaurants. But the rest was not. There were jewels amongst the rubble. One of them was a folder crammed with old magazines and newspapers with the words father letters written on the cover in Ani Issa's hand. I remember standing there holding this manila folder and asking myself, Could this be? When I opened it, my question was answered with a resounding yes. Letters from Joaquin Neen to his daughter Ani East, chronologically arranged beginning in early 1933 before their famous incestuous affair and ending in the late 1930s long afterwards. In French, in Spanish and all original. 
Not only did Ani East not destroy the letters, as Deidre Baer says in her Neen biography, she sorted and annotated them and placed them in a folder. Seventy years later, here I was holding them in my hands. Yes, they were real, and there were a lot of them. Later, I found a second folder with Ani East's letters to her father, all from the same period. Some were originals, meaning she must have gotten them back from her father, and others were carbon copies. The two sets of letters were found on opposite sides of the study, perhaps symbolizing the emotional gulf between the two correspondents. A long estrangement preceded the affair, and another followed. The first was devastating to the young Ani East, whose father left the family when she was ten years old. The second was heartbreaking, because both of them had longed for each other during the first. But in between were seven years, during which time they nervously reconnected, exploded with passion, and then slowly began to drift apart again as their lives changed. And now, there are personal letters documenting this fascinating period of time. The first step was to determine whether the letters contained anything worth reading, Did they talk about their affair? Did they explore each other's feelings about it? Did they do this in context with their other lives? Hers with her husband Hugh Geiler and lover Henry Miller? His with his wife Maria Luisa Rodriguez, known as Maruca? In order to answer these questions, I had to transcribe the letters and translate them. His were mostly handwritten in French and Spanish. Hers were in her elementary French, which had not developed after she had been torn away from Europe as a young girl. Hers were relatively easy to decipher because her handwriting was eloquent. His, not so much. Let me try to describe Joaquin's handwriting. Imagine someone shaking a fountain pen violently, letting the ink splatter onto the page, sort of like a precursor to Jackson Pollock's so-called drip paintings. The letter A was a blob. The letter E is also a blob, just a little different. In fact, all the vowels were blobs. The consonants looked as if they were the result of stabbing the stationary like a fencer in a live-or-die duel. The only way I could tell what the letters were was when they were used in a word I knew. Using these known words, I literally made a decoder. This blob was an A. This swiggle was an S, and so on. The French wasn't too hard to transcribe once I employed the decoder method. The Spanish, which I don't know as well, was another matter. I had to guess in plenty of places, which resulted in words that made no sense in any language. I tried out my guesses on the internet and saw what came up, but I ended up turning to a friend whose native tongue is Spanish and who also knows Anais. She and I would debate which word it was Joaquin had written in his drip writing style. Certain paragraphs and even sentences took hours to figure out. It took months to transcribe and translate the Spanish letters. It took many Skype sessions and emails before we could agree upon exactly what Joaquin had said and meant. In all, it took years off and on to transcribe and translate the entire collection. But it got done, and the collection was given a name, Reunited. Even the title was a result of a fierce debate. 
But what about the questions I originally had? Did Anais and Joaquin write about the affair? Did they explore each other's feelings? Did they write in context of their daily lives? Yes, yes, and yes. There's an incredible wealth of explicit emotions, hopes, dreams, disappointments, tribulations, anecdotes, humor, and intellectual banter between these two famous mythmakers. Did they try their tricks out on each other? You bet. Did they work? Absolutely not. Each was familiar with the other's ruses and fabulations because they were the same. If Joaquin was a Don Juan, Anais was every bit a Doña Juana. It's one thing to read these communications between Anais and Joaquin with a focus on why Anais ultimately made certain choices in her life and art. It's quite another to witness adult-onset incest through the words of its very participants. I personally don't know of any other such discourse unless it's contained within a psychological case study. Both of these considerations are valuable, one for the sake of art, the other for the sake of understanding the psychological impact such a relationship has on its participants. The latter consideration, in my mind, is universal. By that I mean, while incest is not often at the forefront of popular psychological issues, it is present in the shadows, in all sorts of various forms. It may not even be technical incest. It may be some sort of other problematic relationship between a father and daughter or other family members. For example, one reviewer for United wrote that the letters helped her clarify some of the deep-seated issues she had with her narcissistic father. I should add here that while Ani East has been called a narcissist more times than I can count, compared to her father, she was self-effacing. Joaquin's narcissism was one of the reasons he got as far as he did in terms of his musical career and his personal life, but it was also his downfall. The later letters and some of Anais's diary passages bear witness to the cataclysm that resulted in the loss of Joaquin's wife, his possessions, his career, his country. It's an echo of what Anais lost when he left her. The difference is, that she worked to rise above it with her art and her life. He despaired and succumbed. According to Anais, he died alone and insane. In any case, Joaquin's final years were heartbreaking and tragic. And the effect all this had on Anais was devastating too, because it was a burden she would have to deal with for the rest of her life, mostly in the form of guilt. I remember a Lawrence Durrell conference many years ago. I was a newbie then, daring to show up and talk before a vast array of brilliant minds from all over the world about my passion for Ani Isnin, Durrell's longtime friend. I was unprepared for some of the responses to her. At a plenary session, one Durrell scholar said loudly that Ani Isnin was a filthy person who slept with her own father and was therefore not worthy of scholarly study. I was at first shocked by this comment, but I was to learn that there were plenty of people harboring similar sentiments. This was, after all, only a few years after Nin's incest diary came out, not to mention Deidre Bear's biography, which some considered to be judgmental. 
Nien was routinely chastised and castigated by reviewers and scholars, and even some of her friends felt betrayed by the revelations of incest. But there's so much more to this relationship than that. It was only one of many outcomes. To get at what I mean here, let's recap. Ani East Nien's father, a famed musician and lover of women, left the family when she was 10 years old. Not only did it leave a huge void in her life, but it threw the entire family into chaos. First, they lived with Joaquin's parents in Barcelona. Then they were forced to move to New York in order to survive financially. Not one red cent ever came from Joaquin. Anais had lost her father, her grandparents, and finally her European life, all for the sake of Joaquin's passion for an underage piano student. Anais began her diary on the ship from Spain to New York as a letter to her father. In New York, the lifestyle imposed by her strict and religious mother was stifling, and Anais began to rebel. She thought she understood why her father left her mother. She began to identify with him. She quit school. She quit the Catholic Church. She modeled for artists. She fell in love with a man who reminded her of her father. And, like her father, she began to seek other lovers and led multiple lives, each kept secret from the other. And then, after 20 years, her father reached out to her. When she responded, he began to shower her with flattering romantic letters written with exuberance and poetic flair. He pursued her, even daring to predict their affair. From Anais's letters to her father, It's clear that she was overwhelmed, but fascinated, and finally seduced. The affair lasted nearly a year, and they wrote to each other feverishly during this time. When the fire faded, they continued to correspond, and the after-effects became more and more apparent. Disillusionment, anger, resentment, and eventually a new and permanent estrangement. During the late 1930s, Joaquin's marriage to the piano student, whose parents supported them lavishly, fell apart because of yet another frivolous affair. The last letter in Reunited was written in 1940, a year after Joaquin had retreated to Cuba to be cared for by relatives, a year after Anais had fled the war by returning to New York. Reunited's postscript section contains diary excerpts that reveal how deep and lasting the effect of the affair was on Anais. She continued to compare men to her father and question her motivations in terms of her father. Her father filled her books in many ways, some subtle, some flamboyant. He became a symbol to her, often negative. His ghostly image seemed superimposed on her thoughts, her self-criticisms, her obsessions. And when he died, she lamented the fact that, in spite of it all, she had never felt close to him. It was a lament she carried until her final days, when she uttered the words that Papa would be waiting for her when she crossed to the other side. There is no single event in Ana Isnin's life more significant than her father's abandonment. It sent her on a never-ending journey to seek wholeness, to seek complete love. Her brother Joaquin wrote to her in a letter that it was not men she sought, but God himself, which reminds us 
that the young Anais often confused her absent father with God. Reunited is a document that isn't even supposed to exist. In that sense, it's a literary miracle. And in some ways, it's the most important Anais Neen book in print today. You can order Reunited, the correspondence of Anais and Joaquin Neen, at Amazon and all other media outlets. This has been the Anais Neen Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until the next time.